Welcome to Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed. Today's date is April the 4th, 2019, and I have a very special guest uh, for you on this podcast. I will be speaking with Maxwell Melvins of the legendary Lifers Group, who in 1991 was nominated for a Grammy in the 34th Annual Grammy Awards. Again, that was 1991. Um, Maxwell is also one of the founders of what most people have come to know as the Scared Straight program, although I know that wasn't originally what it was named, and it was given that name by a Hollywood producer. I know that because Maxwell told me that. But I want to wanted to bring on Maxwell because he's part of something uh, special going on this weekend. Uh, there is going to be the Can't Stop Hip Hop, the education movement, which is the third annual hip hop education conference at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Now, this will take place on April the 6th, just two days away. It's free admission to the public, and it will start at 9 a.m. Eastern and end at 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern. Just a little bit about the event. The Hip Hop EX Lab presents the third annual Hip Hop Education Conference at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. It is based out of HGSE. It's a new lab experience that brings together high school and graduate students to explore and experiment with hip hop as a powerful culture and educational tool. And Maxwell will be one of those presenters, um, again, through his work with the Lifers Group. Um, he will be talking about changing the prison narrative through the power of hip-hop. At this time, let me welcome on uh, Maxwell Melvin. Melvins. Welcome to you, brother. How you doing there, brother Scotty? And to all the listeners out there, how you doing? This is Maxwell Melvin. I just want to introduce myself to y'all. I want y'all to feel free to ask me any questions that you like to any callers that are out there. And it's most definitely a privilege to be on the Black Talk radio network which is a platform and us are spreading our own message because of the fact that we cannot depend on mainstream media in those places to get our message out and the importance of us getting our message out there in the black community and to other communities so and, this is a privilege for me and i forgot to mention that Maxwell Melvins is also part of the Black Talk Radio broadcast family as he is a co-host and helps produce behind the scenes New Abolitionist Radio. So, I, I, you know, I just want to thank you for coming aboard. I think you bring, you know, a lot of insight, a lot of experience and, you know, real life experience to these issues that we, when we deal with 21st century slavery and human trafficking. But I want to talk to you about this education conference, a hip hop education conference. Um, you know, Max, I was thinking earlier today, I was like, I wonder if Maxwell, when he was, you know, a young, young teen running around in the hood, um, did you envision, um, your life turning out the way it did? Because you're a part of hip hop history, man. No, I did not envision my life in any form or means of being what it is today. I was a young, reckless brother running around the communities with no sense of direction, no meaning, no purpose, no nothing, just reckless is what I envisioned myself as at the time, being caught up and being caught up in what I wasn't caught up in, 
which was all the nonsense and everything that was going on in our community and the things that we thought that was most important, which was being on the corners, looking up to the, the guys that were driving around in the big cars with all the money, the pimps and all that type of things is all I've envisioned my life at. And I had no idea until it came over me at some point in my life that I will be doing what I'm doing today, Brother Scotty. I had no sense, as I said, no purpose, no meaning, no form of direction in my life whatsoever. You know, so, yes. Regular listeners who have heard you on New Abolitionist Radio may know that you spent 34 years in prison in New Jersey. But while you were in prison, you know, prison can break down the many men and and women as well. And, you know, a lot yeah. of people, they don't come out better than when they went in. They might come out worse. But that isn't the case with you. You know, it seems like, and don't let me speak for you, but it seems like while you were incarcerated, you know, you had time to think about what you wanted to do. And you came up with some programs that have had great impacts on positive impacts on many lives. Yes, and one of the reasons that I came up, this, I'm just like to say, and a lot of people don't know, one of the main reasons that I came up with, I came up with, uh, it had a very personal meaning for me, brother. It wasn't an intention, but I, when I went into prison in 1980, I still was out of control and reckless at some point. As you know, just as it took me to the level of where I got to be at the age of nine of nineteen to go to prison to reach that level of the crime that I had committed, it sometimes takes us just as long to revert back or to change. Change does not happen overnight. It's an ongoing process and what affected me most was I killed my best friend who had nothing to do with the actual events and chain of events that went on that night over a drug deal, a friend who I hadn't seen in several years, Brother Scotty. I hadn't seen this friend, and we had just spoken briefly for a moment. You know, like, I hadn't seen him in years, and, hey, how you doing, brother? And how you doing this and that? And just that matter of moments, he had went into the bar to get himself a drink and during the course of that he had come out and me and some other brother had had a confrontation where a brother had finagled me out of my money and I was highly upset and uh, we were driving a car actually and the car had backed out of control on his own and the people began to scream and everything and as they did, I had no clue what they were talking about. And I noticed the car had went in reverse. I ran to the car. During the course of me running to the car, the gentleman that had finagled me out of my money, I seen them pulling up in a van. And as I was getting out the car, I noticed the owner of the car, my friend, who had a gun on the floor, and me thinking at that moment on what these brothers had just done to me, I grabbed a gun at the same time off the floor of the car, and when they pulled up, I ran over to the brother, and I said, I want my drugs or my money. 
And the brother had said, I don't have your drugs. I don't have your money. I was beat out of it. So I became angry and enraged and everything. And I believe I slapped this guy across the face with the gun. And he took off running. And as a result of that, I fired four reckless shots. As a result of them four reckless shots, one of them straight bullets managed to cross the street and hit a victim that I didn't know that night that even had hit anyone. And so a crowd of people began to come across to me and say, why did you shoot that guy? He had nothing to do with it. I said, I didn't mean to shoot anyone. I took off. I went into hiding. I went into New York. And as a result, while being into hiding, Brother Scotty, I learned the identity of that victim. And during the course of learning the identity of that victim, not only did I learn the identity of that victim, I learned this person was on life support system. And I learned that it was my very dear childhood friend who had got struck by that straight bullet. And me being devastated by the overall everything, wanted to turn myself in and return myself to Jersey. And during the process of that, before I could turn myself in, they apprehended me. And so it has a personal, you know, I'm not trying to minimize. Had it been anyone, I might have been devastated. But it was a devil tragedy. I had killed my very best friend, the friend that I spent nights over his house went to wrestling his father had uh his whole family had taken me taught me how to cook hispanic meals and everything so it was like i said as a double tragedy for me and um yes Mm -hmm. and while in prison and in honor of my friend and looking at everything that was going out going on in society at the time and all these new bills that President Bill Clinton was implementing, Hillary Clinton, and all these things. And, you know, I said, in honor of this person, I have to do something in honor of this person. This can't all be in vain. You know, something good has to come up out of this because I was devastated with how I had been done. And as a result of me being devastated, I continue in my behavior inside of prison because I was angry about what I had done until I learned how to deal with what I had done. So I became a part of the Lifers Group. I understood what their program was about. And that program at the time, as I say, Scare Straight program was just the name Hollywood had given it and everything. And in the early 90s, I came to part of it of 1988. Uh... A lot of the rappers were sending out false messages and everything, and it was another side of the story that needed to be told. So I said, I'm going to be the one to tell it. And Gangsta Rant, they had the glorification of prison, and you know how meeting everybody put these stigmas on people, and it was more than that. Mm -hmm. And I said, I can do something to have an impact on everybody, and that's what I want to do. I want to help to change people's lives. I don't want to tell my story i don't want to end up, end up in the same position that i had to end up in right so right. that is how i begin with the whole process right there you know and wanting to share my story to help save the lives of, of other kids out in our communities and different things you mentioned the music that was being put out at the time and the negative uh messages and you know i'm 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 um around your same age um, so I was, you know, I remember when hip hop came out 
in the 70s and you know you had Curtis blowing them you had the Sugar Hill gang you and, and, and a few other groups as, as well and you know when I remember in middle school because I was in middle school you know when hip hop really yeah. started blowing up you know but sometime after that um, I would say once I got up in high school it's like you know the message and the music changed you know before hip hop in its beginning yeah, in its, begin- right. in its beginning, hip hop was basically like news commentary of what was going on in the hood. You know, you know, it was telling stories and 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 tales and what have you, and and teaching us lessons. But then, you know, I I say, you know, the corporate the corporations uh, got a hold of this thing called gangster rap, and ever exactly. since ever exactly. since then, it's just been an imbalance in the industry man you know there's no balance and especially when it comes to terrestrial radio you know i saw this documentary this brother from the uk did uh brother maxwell and he went to chicago and you know to do a documentary about all all the you know people dying in chicago and so you know he hooked up with some brothers uh that was into the gang intervention type stuff and so that person introduced him to some gang bangers and whatnot and those particular yeah. game bangers were also into rap music. And, and I think the genre yeah. is called drill music. I've also heard, yeah. you know, Minister Farrakhan talk about it and just talk about how violent it is. And, and Max, I, I, I how do we take hip hop back, man? You know, we just lost a how great. How do we take it back? Yeah. How do we well, take I'm it back? Tell you how we take it back. The problem is as brother, uh, 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 Brother Emmanuel was on uh, saying there was a time back in the day there were certain things that you couldn't do in our community and you know I I, I don't want to ride on the tails of anybody else but what Brother uh, Nipsey Hussle was about to do in a movement of he had made it so far is in my personal belief that he was about to Put that code back out there. That all you brothers out there are doing this, and you, you, you're talking this gangster rap. You're talking. You ain't doing nothing for your community. I mean, I, he was about to change it around and to make it like, you know, you want to be labeled as, as this and this and entitlement in the rap industry. But what are you doing for your community? Enough. And most of them aren't doing anything for their community. And they send a false message out there to all of our children that are out there. Mm-hmm. Number one, a lot of them haven't really actually lived the lifestyles that they're talking about. They talk all this gangster stuff and everything, but the reality of it, they weren't really living it. And some of the brothers that was really living it know the final outcome of it. It results in nothing but either prison or death. Right. And you know, I don't want to turn this subject into that brother, but what that brother doing, that brother was about to create a movement, like a movement that was never created in the entire history of rap music is what he was about to do, not by his talk, 
by his actions. Right, right. Demonstrating to the community. Being an example. Being an example to his peers of that, hey, you know, we can make money making music and what have you, but we can also make money and help our community by opening up businesses and employing people in our community, providing affordable housing and, you know, and and so, you know, he, he does pretty much stand alone. Uh, as far as I know, as somebody yes, he does. who, yes, he does. you no, know, he does. Yes. a lot of the other ones do a lot of things, but they did not do what he did a uh, hands on in the community thing. They let other people handle that for them. Right. While they you know, moved out the community, on. they were saying, yeah, no. I got you. Yeah, you're right. He was hands on every day in the community. He didn't just speak in words in terms of words. This brother was hands-on and acting. You know how you say people talk, but you don't go by what people say. You go by what they do. And he was clearly demonstrating that. And what by what he did and everything, it's sad. I'm very sad. I don't discuss it very much because they all know words is self-explanatory in what this brother was doing. But I'm just saying that there is so much and hip-hop music is the biggest genre of music of all times. And what I was trying to find, in 1990, I predicted that the hip-hop industry would be a multi-billion dollar industry. And it has turned into exactly that. When And let me explain, break it down to you, whether through clothing, through instruments, through technology, through turntables, through advertisement and everything, hip-hop music has, in fact, turned to that. And that's why it's become most powerful. And when we say rap and hip-hop, there's two different, there's a different differentiation from the two. Mm-hmm. Hip-hop is actually a part of a culture, a lifestyle. Right. Rap is just rap. Rap is a part of hip-hop culture. Right. People that are living the culture. You're living something. You're not just rapping about something. It's two different things. And as I say, rap music is a part of the hip-hop culture. Hip-hop culture is a lifestyle. It is a true way of living a true meaning to the hip-hop culture in which people have used this form and message to articulate the very problems and very things that is going on in our community every day, whether pain, whether happiness, to whatever is going on, mm-hmm. it's been a voice, a true voice. And it also, and it also, difference. Brother Maxwell, it also, you know, when you look at the origins in, in New York, it also sought to minimize conflict in the community to, to you know, where some brothers might want or let's say some groups, some neighborhood, let's call them street families, might have a problem with another street family. Well, instead of them yeah. going out there and physically engaging in violence, they might have a dance-off. They might have a graffiti contest. They might have a DJing contest and an MCing contest. Yeah, that was the true sense of hip hop right there. Not all this other stuff that's coming out right now, and they're just promoting. You grab a nine, you put him down, you put some bullets in his head. 
that is plain nonsense. I don't know where that stuff has come from, Brother Scotty. And like I said, Brother Scotty, I didn't just start doing this. I've been doing this for 35 years, bro, what I do. Right. A lot of people don't know about us or me, right? And like I said, you got a lot of people who have become these poster boys of rap music and whether it's prison reform and mass incarceration. Bro, if anybody was to listen to the Wipers group music, we was talking about this before any rapper out there that was talking about it because we identified and knew what was really going on in the system. We weren't just some group made up or some Hollywood stage group. We was actually living it every day. Mm-hmm. And like I said, a lot of people may not understand, but when a lot of people hear about the lifers group, it dawns on them. They remember, they reflect back on it, but a lot of people don't understand. I'm not just a voice that's just coming out of the scenes, behind the scenes, Brother Scotty. I've been spreading the same message for 35 to 40 years now. Mm-hmm. First-hand experience. I ain't talking about what somebody told me, what I read in a book, or none of that. I'm talking about what I lived first-hand experience, Brother Scotty. Mm-hmm. You'll be sharing some yep. of that, some of that information and, and life experience Absolutely. when you go to Harvard. And again, uh, your your um, talk is labeled "Changing the Prison Narrative Through the Power of Hip Hop." Can you just give us a small taste, a little preview of what you'll be talking to the students yes. about? Well, a lot of people believe that when I say people in prison, you know how Hollywood and TV and everybody put a stigmatization on people that are in prison. They put these labels on us. They glorify and they say that we are ruthless and all that. And none of those things are necessarily true. So what I'm trying to do when I go to Harvard to trigger some of the very people that will be at that conference have family members and various things that who are in prison. Now, would you identify your family members as them of being what the media and others say them of being or would you identify them as being fathers, mothers, parents, brothers, sisters, uncles, cousins, you know, this is the message that I'm trying to bring to them and changing the narrative is let the people in there share their own stories and not everybody else trying to tell their stories. Because as you go into a lot of these meetings, Brother Scotty, of uh, uh, prison reform, uh, criminal justice reform, you have all these big board members that are in there making these decisions on our lives right? who have never been there. They say the, 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 the people with the solutions and have the answers to the problem are the people closely associated to the problem. Right, so how right. are these people going to define what our lives are? They've never been there. You know, Brother Maxwell, to speak to your point, yeah. you know, because um, I pay very, very close attention to this, you know, especially since I started New Abolitionist Radio and, and yeah. found out the 13th Amendment never abolished yeah. slavery. And that was like yeah. a shock to my system, you know. 
And so, but I have found by paying attention that some of the very same corporations, some of the very same wealthy people who have profited all these years off of prison slavery, uh, whether we're talking about uh, Correction Corporation of America, which is now, of course, Civic or the Geo Group, or even if we talk about about the Koch brothers. You know, I've read articles saying that many of these people are the ones who are who have been profiting are are the ones who are behind the reform and the type of reform yes. that they're bringing exactly. is going to enrich them even more you know now do you, do you know why they support the reforms now because what? many of them have bought the very reintegration programs and things for people to reintegrate back in society mm-hmm. they have taken over these corporations that will provide those services now and because there's so much attention surrounding this and it's back on the table now mm-hmm. and they're not going to be able to get off it's become more to the limelight now they're not right. going to be, get, be able to get off what they've been getting off for years and years as you say it's become the new form of prison slavery they're not going to be able to get it off anymore so what do they do they flip the table and it has a lot to do with you have a lot of politicians that are involved with this and the very thing that since uh president the most damaging president to all prisoners in history is bill clinton when he gave the 1997 prisoners legal reform act and the crime bill not just him and 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 and, and senator joe biden at the time Right. Has voted on more crime bills than any person in history. He has been the one to vote on this. Yeah, now, Biden actually and, wrote wrote a lot of them crime bills. Exactly. So now, what they're understanding, the people now are a part of the vote, and politicians feel that it is strong and important. It's a leverage on the table, but I'm going to call a spade a spade, all right? I'm going to be real with you. They identifying right now, as he said, Brother Shahid, in Florida, of the million people that will be able to vote. Now, the million people carry weight with them. Mm -hmm. So you have certain politicians and various things that are supporting certain bills and everything, because when they look at the reality of it, that is votes for them. But you have to have a leverage. All right, if they're willing to do this since there's been no real and true prison reform since the early 80s, we got to do what we got to do to get to where we need to be. Right, right. You understand? So we got to do what we got to do. You have many pending bills in many states. New Jersey has a pending bill. Mm -hmm. But instead of talking about it, let's bring action to it. New Jersey has one on the marijuana law and legalization of marijuana right now. And as a result, when they legalize marijuana in the state of New Jersey, when that bill is finally passed, as a result of that, all the people that are in prison and incarcerated that have strikes against them or it's on their record will be wiped out of their record once that bill is passed. So it does have a, a, a valuable and important impact on everybody. 
Mm. You know, it's like a, a give and take. It's give and take. It ain't just giving. Like they giving us something. They're not giving us anything. Mm-hmm. They're giving us people or what we're entitled to. Well, they're you know? kind of responding to the outcry, the grassroots movement push um, to end slavery, yeah. to reform, you know, certain systems. And one yeah. thing that you said is yeah. very important, you know, especially during federal elections we you know people talk about you know what kind of reform can we put through in congress and all of that but the vast majority of the people are affected on the prison slavery level at the state level and that we need to be working on bills or at the state level in legislation that has to to be done by state level the first step act was just exactly what it said was the first step the first step i only affected federal prisoners which right. is a lower population and percentage of the overall population of the united states brother scotty and i had issues with the first step act when it came out i supported it in part and in part i didn't support it but in order to need to get to the next step we had to take the first step but as you said it has to be done on a state the state level in order to get these changes done. And some of the things that was implemented in the First Step Act as far as certain programs and things that have to be implemented, the very corporations that supported all Bill Clinton's uh, passes of bills and the people that uh, went out to lobby for those things they're the very people again that are going to be topping that because they now have the program and have bought all the other corporations that will provide the services that was instituted in the first step act meaning reintegration in society and all those things those very things the geo group has bought out correctional educational services and various things so they have like flipped it you know, it's, I don't. It, it, sometimes it's just hard to explain. They have now flipped it that again they are on profit mm-hmm. in a good way, but again they have flipped it where they're going to get the game. Not really the public and the people. Not, not the grassroots organizations, you know. Um, no. There are grassroots organizations like, you know, we talked to Brother Emmanuel Abraham last night, um, yeah. the uh, Prison Streets Talks Ministry, you know. Yeah. In, yeah. Instead, exactly. it'll be and these same private yeah. prison profiteers that's, that's providing the so-called services. And let me say this. It has become social justicepreneurship now. And a lot of these very organizations have came come to understand it has a lot to do with money some of them are genuine mm-hmm. and i'm gonna tell you something the ones that are really and the people that they know that could really make this change the people been doing it for nothing all their lives they're not trying to let you into that circle they're trying to keep you blocked out mm. for example i'm going to use myself i have no real financial support to do what I need to do in the movement and I've been doing it for nothing brother Scotty mm-hmm. for 35 years and them people all only have a circle and a circle of friends that are going to benefit from that as a result are they genuine a lot of them no they're doing it for profit as well brother Scotty 
let's keep this real. Let's not sugarcoat it. Mm-hmm. As Brother Shahi said to you last night, Brother Emmanuel, Brother Emmanuel program, as I said, was one of the first in the nation to go inside all these prisons and was having a real impact. And he was saying some of the real grassroots organizations and stuff, he didn't lie about nothing that he was saying. He was telling the truth about everything that he said, brother. And some of these very people are riding high on tide right now. Mm. And they don't have a genuine concern, brother Scotty. It's all about the dollars. Now, why I got a problem with that? Because they didn't flip it to where the G, like, as they they in the state of mind of the Geo Group and Correctional Corporation of America. They didn't put themselves in the mindset of that, mm. and they just flipped it though. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I understand what you're saying. You know, some years uh, back we had a guest on New Abolitionist Radio. And this was a brother who had been in prison before, and he come out and he started yeah. a nonprofit uh, reentry, um, running halfway houses yeah. and stuff like that. But when the brother came on, he was sounding like one of those pro drug war warriors and saying, yeah. "Yeah, we need to lock yeah. up people, you know, selling crack in the hood and all this and that." And yeah. it, it really yeah. disturbed me. It really disturbed me yeah. because I'm like, dude. I'm like, where's how's the crack getting here to begin with? You know what I'm saying? These yeah. are brothers and sisters that are struggling out here to survive. And nobody should be going to prison. While we don't want to encourage people to use drugs, we shouldn't be locking yeah. up people because they make bad choices. You know, people make bad choices yeah. and eat a bunch of food that make them obese and get heart disease and all of that. But we ain't locking yeah. them up for that. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So, yeah, it, exactly. I understand. Um, I heard this other brother call it the nonprofit industrial complex. You know where exactly. Yeah, but yeah, but listen, exactly. all right. We got to get ready to wrap it up. I do want to let people know um, about the conference uh, one last time. It'll be yeah. on April the sixth. That's will be this Saturday at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. What are some of the things that you can um, expect? Well, of course, you can expect. Some hip hop music. They're going to have performers. They're going to have presenters like yeah, Maxwell Melvin's, and yeah. they'll just be, you know, having a good time with with the students. You know, that's yeah. what hip hop is about: peace, love, they will unity, be surprised. They and will having be surprised fun. With some of the presenters, some of the presenters that's going to be there, brother Scotty. Some of these presenters that's going to be at the hip hop education mobile Saturday. They will be surprised. Some of their programs and various things have been incorporated into the education curriculum. Is this so great of showing how important hip hop education is? Because it is the voice of the people. It's going to be an amazing event. Not just me, but all the other people that are coming there to share. You're going to have women in hip hop. You're going to have so many different people at this at this thing Saturday there's going to be a lot of people there and it's a free event and I encourage everybody to come out there and you know anything that they want to know about it more you know they can go anything they want to know about me brother Scotty they can go to Melvin782 at gmail they can hit Maxwell Melvin Twitter you know they can hit Max Melvin's Facebook 
Yes, see, Max Norman, I'm true to what I'm doing. I've been doing it for years, 35 years. I'm not no poster boy or somebody that just stepped up to the forefront and they gave a label and a sticker and say, this will be our representative. I've been doing this. I'm living it. I'm living it every day in my life. And this is very important to me. And hip-hop education is very important. And i like to thank you very much, Brother Scotty, giving me this platform with the Black Talk Radio Network. Thank you. You're welcome. And we want you to have safe travels there and safe travels back. And definitely looking forward to hearing from you again on Wednesday night on New Abolitionist Radio. Absolutely. Absolutely. I will definitely get some footage for y'all while I'm there, my brother. All right, Maxwell. Maxwell Melvins, peace and blessings to you, brother. Peace to you too, brother Scotty, the Black Talk Radio Network and Abolitionist Radio. Peace out, brother.